0: Good morning. morning. I mean, we can close in prayer after Charlie Brown Christmas. Can't we all just get out of here now? Thank you. Hey, thank you for being here on a frigid morning. And those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. And uh, I know you're in your pajamas and at brunch right now, but uh, we're jealous. That's all. So uh, thank you for being here. I, uh, quick announcement. We, m- many of you have asked, are we having Christmas Eve services? Yes, we will be. We are. Uh, you may have heard we've been able to increase our capacity for gathering. And so we are measuring that out, <laughs> determining service times. So... Yes, praise God for that. And so we'll have in the coming days Christmas Eve times for you as soon as possible. So uh, let me read. I want to read one part of one verse to you to start things off this morning. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph is holding a newborn baby, and he gave him the name Jesus. There are, in my 40 years here on this earth, there are few moments as momentous and full of gravity as naming our children. I I mean, it's already an emotional moment, but there are all these things that fly through your mind and I've been corrected. Not everybody uh, has flashing through their mind what I had, but let me tell you what was going through my mind as we were trying to come up with the names for each of our children. First, I'm thinking about like generations. You know, you sit there and you think, oh my goodness, is there like some family name from way back that I'm gonna mess up the whole, like the train of names if I don't name Lincoln, like Sir Lincoln the 14th or something like that. And uh, not to our knowledge anyway. And then there are like technical things that come to mind. Like you think about this child having to write whatever name you give them on thousands and thousands of assignments and, and, and like homework projects. And, and so I think back to like kids I went to, to elementary school with, like Alexandria, who before she finished her name, most of our class was done with the assignment, or Bartholomew. I didn't go to school with a Bartholomew, but that would stink. It really would. No offense to the Bartholomews in here, Okay. But you think about that kind of thing, or it even crossed my mind like, okay, if I'm a kid in their class and I want to make fun of this child one day, what are all the different um, variations of, of like terrible names I could come up with based on the name I'm thinking about naming my child? So all this stuff goes through. And then recently I learned that in Jesus' day, it was common for dads to be given the awesome privilege, task, and responsibility of naming the child. I mean, can you imagine today? Honey, we would have three children named Wolverine, XL, and Double Stuff Oreo. <laughs> and, and, and I promise you we would. <laughs> so we should maybe be thankful that hasn't continued. But the other thing that crosses your mind when you're, when you're naming a human being is the idea of you ponder the character of this life. What is this child going to be like? And what name could, without ever knowing, without ever seeing in advance, what kind of character is this human life going to have? What is it going to embody? And what name could I give that? And so it's with that in mind, as you think about Joseph, as you think about Joseph holding this newborn baby, who is God in the form of a baby, if you could be standing there, and if you could think through your experience and your encounters with God, or maybe your lack of experience and lack of encounters with God, what would you? What tips would you give Joseph? Or maybe a better question is, what would you name that baby? Because as we'll see in a moment, God gave Joseph a name to give the baby, but it was up to Joseph to actually give the baby that name. And I have to think that in this room, many of us, Based on bad experiences in in faith and in your relationship with God, maybe great experiences in your relationship with God, that we might name that baby from that experience. In fact, as I as I look at Matthew chapter one, where, where we read about the birth of Christ, you know what I what just jumps out to me is that how often we read and encounter God through our lens. And for, for many, many people, the lens through which we encounter God and we experience God is fair or unfair. You know, we look around, whether it's this year or just our, our life journey up to this point, and we think, God, you're, you've been unfair. You know, maybe you look left and right and you see people that seem to have it better than you, and yet you don't consider them as, as, as good of a person as you are. So God, what is that about? Or, why did they get to have this experience? And I don't. See, we can often put, we're talking about God in boxes as we head toward Christmas. We can often put them in the box of unfair or unreasonable. But as I open Matthew chapter one, it's interesting. It's like the worst place to tell somebody who's new to the Bible to start. I remember I asked somebody before I'd ever read the Bible, where should I start? They said, Matthew chapter one. This is a terrible idea. You want to know what Matthew chapter one starts with? It's a list. It is so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. If you struggle with insomnia, it is a great place to start reading your Bible because it will put you out. But as time has gone on, it's been interesting what has jumped off the pages of Matthew chapter one and, and how much we often read the Bible with ourselves in mind. In fact, if you look at the lineage of Jesus, let me just, I'm not gonna read the list to you, but let me read to you Matthew chapter one, verse 17. It says, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, as you look at that, what you really see is this trajectory. There's a journey of faith. God starts with an individual with faith, individual faith, and he takes it to faith on a national level. This is going to be a nation of faith, Israel, God's people. But because they turned and went their own way, they end up with the natural consequences of turning away from God: exile and captivity. And as a, as you we read that, it's easy to think, "Gosh, that's isn't that our journey?" I mean, I, I started inspired and I started in a great spot, but then you know we turn left and right. And life, as you look around, can begin to feel like exile and captivity. And God, where are you at? This is so unfair. And for Joseph, Joseph who's named at the end of this list, right before Jesus, how's he feeling? Like as as you look across this lineage, Joseph's got to be thinking, you put me at the tail end of this? You put me at the tail end of people that chose to go a different way? It's just so... Unfair, and it can feel like that can feel like how life goes. But then we're going to get into uh, Joseph's personal situation. Listen to Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. In other words, this whole lineage that Matthew just listed is going to culminate right here in the birth of the Messiah. Here's how it came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But see, Joseph doesn't have that through the Holy Spirit part when he's walking through this in real time, does he? See, all Joseph can see is we had a contract because that's how engagements worked in that day. We had a contract, we were gonna be married and you're pregnant. And Joseph knew he had not had an intimate relationship with her to that point. And so what's going on in Joseph's mind? She cheated. She committed adultery. And Joseph can't see the God piece, all this. And then you add to it, you add to it this next statement, because this is often what we'll do as we look at ourselves in the mirror. Now, Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law. In other words, Joseph is a righteous man. And this 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 is an easy place for us to go. Or maybe we look back and we think, gosh, the journey to this point has been rough, and it's been hard, and it's been terrible. And God, it's just not fair. And then maybe you look around at circumstances in your life. You know, maybe this year, maybe it's been throughout your life, and you think, I'm in this really hard situation, and what did I do to deserve this? I mean, I think many of us, we, we look in the mirror and we think, oh, I'm like Joseph. I'm, I'm a good guy. Now, I'm a righteous person. I I try to be kind to people. I try to do good things for people. This just seems so unfair. It's, It's the word that we learned at this age from this high. And we continue to say, God, it's just, you're unfair. And then just to make things harder, God shows up in a dream to Joseph. And he says, here's how you're gonna handle it. Here's how you're gonna handle it. And listen to this message. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And I imagine that's where many of us would stop without hearing what came next, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But we stop before that, don't we? We stop at do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because we look around and we think, God, it's already hard enough. And I feel like now you're asking me to walk through something unimaginably difficult. I mean, you want me to take her home as my wife? This had severe social implications for Joseph and Mary because what are people gonna think? They're gonna be social outcasts if he takes her home as his wife and he's still wondering what happened. What on earth happened that she's pregnant while we're engaged? It just seems so unfair. And many, many people in this room, you know, I don't know everybody's situation, but I'm aware of situations where it's just unimaginably hard. And the temptation is to look around and go, God, this is not fair. So here's the thing. We think we want a fair God. We think we want a fair God. Here's the issue. We've created our own definition of fair, haven't we? Because isn't it true? We live in a culture that gives us such great news about ourselves. I mean, it's not just great news. Like, hey, you're really kind, and here are your giftings, and I really appreciate you. I mean, unrealistically great news. Like, you, you don't have anything wrong with you. You don't need a savior. That kind of great news. And we've, got, we've been fed so much great news about ourselves that we no longer think we need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, anytime somebody has something to say or anytime life you know, throws us circumstances that are difficult for us, what do we do? We think that's so unfair because it's my standard of fair. I'm a, I'm a great person. Why is this happening to me? And what we have to remember is that God has a different standard. It's a holy standard of fair. See, we think we want a fair God, but I don't think we want a fair God. Because we see throughout scripture what a fair God does. There's Genesis. Remember Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. God looks upon the evil in these two cities being carried out. And he's decided, I'm going to destroy the cities. And he tells one man living in the city, one person that he could find righteous. He says, take your wife, Lot. The man's name was Lot. Take your wife and leave the city. Don't look back. They're leaving the city as it's being destroyed. And for a moment, she looks back and she's annihilated on the spot. You get to Exodus. Moses is leading people through the desert. They've they've been complaining the entire time. Finally, one day, he gets so frustrated, he hits a rock. And upon hitting the rock, you know what God says to him? Moses, you will not enter the promised land. And you look at it and you think, God, he hit a rock. I mean, in this room, we've done that millions of times. Acted out of frustration. You get to Leviticus, the sons of Aaron. They offer, it just says they offer strange fire in the presence of the Lord, and they're struck dead. Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the corner of God's robe. Not even his face. Isaiah sees the corner of God's robe, robe. And what does he say? Not wow, but woe, woe to me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Two-thirds of the book of Ezekiel details God's anger toward the sin of the people. You get to Acts and you have Ananias and Sapphira. They're deceptively giving an offering and they're struck down. And all of this, all of it goes back to the original sin. One command, do not eat the fruit of that tree. And Adam and Eve, they take a bite of the fruit and from all of it, all the sin, all the death, all the destruction is unleashed upon the world. You see, what we have to remember is it's not the measure of the sin. It's the measure of the one who is sinned against. In an exponentially, exponentially lesser form of the situations I just listed, uh, Christmas of 1990 comes to mind. Christmas of 1990. Let me tell you what happened in 1990. Mike Tyson's punch out for the Nintendo entertainment system came out. And I am looking at this game going, I've got to have it. I mean, people dropped 50 bucks on original Nintendo games back in the late 80s and early 90s. And I just went, that's what I want. That's what I want uh, for Christmas. And this is like June. I was like, mom, dad, that's it right there. I don't don't care if I get anything else. Well, here's what happened. In the months after that, I'm 10 years old at the time. My sister's five and uh, we just fought like cats and dogs, just fought and fought and fought since she's here. Let me just take this moment to say I won every single time. But we would just fight over and over and over. We get to like October or November. And I remember my parents saying, no more fighting. If there's any more fighting, there will be socks for Christmas. Which you got to hear that through the the ears of a 10-year-old. And a five-year-old. Like at 40, socks sound great this year. I'm asking for socks and nothing else this year. But when you're 10 and you're five, socks are like, ugh. I mean, maybe it's a side item, but what else you got? One day, it's like a few weeks before Christmas, we're fighting again. And mom and dad said, that's it. It's socks for Christmas. Christmas morning, we got handed packages, soft, opened them up. Socks. And I sat there and as my eyes filled with tears. You know what I said? Same thing we all say, as we look around at life. That's so unfair. That's so unreasonable. But again, we have to remember the measure, not of the sin, but of the one who is sinned against. You sin against your parents or somebody here on earth, there are earthly consequences. But if you sin against an infinitely holy, eternal God, there are infinite, eternal consequences. And see, that's often how we would engage. We can engage God, isn't it? Through the lens of fair and unfair. But see, this is where truly good news comes in. Because if you can imagine standing next to Joseph with God in baby form, holding him before he's going to be named, you know what I think you'd discover? You'd discover that Joseph didn't engage God through the lens of fair or unfair. God, God was experienced by Joseph in a much better way, in a way you and I can encounter and experience God. And so as you walk back through Matthew chapter 1, there are some details there that are really good news. For instance, the lineage, the lineage that Joseph was part of that the Messiah would come from. I mean, it is full of, if you read through those names, it is full of names that are maybe heroes of the faith for many of us, but it's full of names who just screwed up royally as well. But in this list, you know what's really interesting to me is that women were never listed in Jewish pedigrees. They just weren't, they weren't, they weren't given, their names weren't given as part of the lineage of people then. And yet in the lineage of Jesus, the holy, perfect Messiah, along with all these people who had messed up big time, there are four women. And women weren't given value at that time. You remember Jesus fed the 5,000? And what does it say? There were 5,000 men, not counting women and children because women just weren't given any sort of legal right or value at the time. And yet here in God's eternal word, four women, three of which are accused of adultery. You know what I think that says? You know what I think Joseph thinks that says? Is that this is a good and gracious and loving God. That he would give value where this world gives no value. That he would use a flawed lineage of people To bring about his holy and perfect Messiah, that is a gracious God. But it's not just in generations past. Joseph, you come to his circumstances and look at the the evidence of the presence of God, a gracious God in it. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then there's this phrase, listen to this. But after he had considered these things, after he had considered these things, you want to know maybe the greatest evidence of God in that moment was that Joseph had a God who stirred his heart to consider some things. Because you know what? The law was clear. The law was clear on what the punishment for adultery was. Deuteronomy 22. Take the adulterer or the adulteress out and stone them to death. And Joseph, he's a man who's faithful to the law. So what is Joseph supposed to do? I mean, isn't that how you've encountered Christians before? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, this is maybe news for you, but you can quote the Bible to justify just about anything you want to carry out. We can quote the Bible out of context to carry out anything, but Joseph read scripture and Joseph related to God through a different lens. See, he read the words of God with the heart of God. And so as he looked upon his fiance, even though he didn't understand what was going on, he had compassion. Compassion. He was open. You know, isn't it true that some of the most gracious, compassionate people in your life, if you were to look into their background, they are people who recognize they've been graciously and mercifully dealt with. It's absolutely true. And some of the least gracious people you know have been harmed and thrown around and hurt. And they haven't been handled very gently. And yet Joseph if nothing else, had to, had to have considered the stirring in his own heart to go, okay, God, maybe you're in this, and maybe there's another option here. It doesn't stop there. Now things are going to get real personal because God is going to come and communicate with Joseph personally. <clears throat> but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I just can't help thinking that that Joseph, after he had that dream, knowing his background, knowing his lineage, maybe thought back to another Joseph who had another dream centuries before this. In fact, that Joseph, around 17 years old when he had this dream, he woke up and as he walked forward in life, that dream looked less and less likely to happen. It would be 22 years before that Joseph saw the fruition of the dream God gave him. And now this Joseph, having been communicated with by God in a dream, gets up and does what he does next. And we'll get there in a moment. But here's here's the thing that just so has jumped out to me in this passage. That as Joseph looked at his background and saw a gracious God, and as Joseph looked at his circumstances and encountered a merciful God, and as Joseph asked him what to do and was communicated with personally, Joseph handled things not through the lens of fair or unfair, but with the recognition that God chose to be faithful. You wanna know what's better than a fair God? A faithful God. If he's unfair at any level, it's unfair in our favor. If he was unfair to anybody, it could be said of his son, who for our sin, for our transgressions, for where we've fallen short, went to the cross when we should be there. If he's been unfair, it's in our favor. Christmas is the reminder that God chose faithful over fair. And so there we were on Christmas morning, 1990. We've just opened up a couple packages of socks and mom and dad said, go on, go on, sort through the socks. And as we began pulling socks away, you know what we found? Mike Tyson's punch out. Aren't you glad we have a heavenly father who chose faithful over fair? Kyla got fair. All she got was socks. It was awesome, okay? (laughs) But see, when you realize that you have a God who's been faithful over fair, then the way you read scripture and the way you read people and the way you handle people, it changes. And you live by the law of love that Jesus left us with. And so if at any point you, you find yourself putting God in the box of unfair, unreasonable God, I wanna invite you into an exercise. It's just three things that spring just, just jumped off the page to me from this passage. Number one, it's, it's an invitation to consider the unrecognized hand of God. That as you look back through your past, maybe it's your family history, maybe it's just your own life journey. At what points have maybe we not recognized the hand of God in our lives? And then as I think about Joseph's situation, you know, the next thing we can do is consider where we've not rehearsed. We've got the unrehearsed mercy of God. What is rehearsing? Rehearsing is just coming back to something over and over and over and going through it. What are those moments in my life where he's been faithful, where he's had mercy upon me? And if you can't find any, rest assured, you've at least got the cross. And that is all you need. The unrehearsed mercy of God is often what can, what can take us to that place where we say, God, you're so unfair. You're so unreasonable. But the third place is the is the unreleased control of our lives to God. I mean, can you imagine Joseph knowing he's going to be affected socially, getting up from this dream, and maybe it was the last part of his life that he just needed to release to God and do what he did next as the worship team comes back up. Matthew chapter one, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And I think he named that child not because he was just told to, but because he had experienced that as the nature and character of God. Jesus, God saves, Emmanuel, God with us. So if you could be standing there next to Joseph or in Joseph's sandals. What would you name that baby? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so reminded that for all the, all the tunnel vision we get on our own lives and, and the comparisons and measuring, you know, what's fair and what's unfair. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes brand new all over again, that you're a God who chose better than fair. That if you were to go by fair, none of us would stand a chance, but instead you went Faithful. And over and over and over, if we'll just look around, whether it's back at our lives to see your hand, around our lives to see your mercy, or going forward and releasing control to you, would you remind us that you have been, are, and always will be faithful. Thank you for your son and the gift of him to our world and to each of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.